0: Welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Bella Zanesco is a modern-day polymath. She's a world champion sailor, creator of best practice holistic leadership programs and a passionate advocate for full expression. But she's lived many lives. As a business executive, she delivered over $5 billion to Fortune 500 companies, including PepsiCo, Sainsbury, Unilever and the Royal Mail and in 2015 was awarded the UK's top 50 young changemakers for her work in coaching at-risk high performers. Despite all of these successes, Bella hit a hurdle experiencing a bout of depression. The way she navigated this launched her fascination into helping others become fully expressed. Her book, Smart Girls Grew Up Too, don't you just love that title?, has just been released and incorporates her research across 2,000 women all around the world, as well as her own experiences. This book provides a platform for working women to come back to themselves. And in this conversation, we unpack some of Bella's thought leaderships about what it takes to actually live fully expressed in what is a crazy, busy world. Bella is full of life. She walks her talk and embodies everything that is authentic about this conversation. So make sure you soak up everything that is Bella Zanesco. Bella, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Ali. It's super cool to be here. Oh, look, it's great to have you. And I understand this is your very first podcast. It is. I'm a podcast virgin. Oh, we like to pop cherries around. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Those peas In are a awesome. Way. <laughs> <laughs> look, there's so much I want to dive into, into your story, into your research, and what you're sharing with the world. But I actually want to start with your childhood. What what was that like for you? What was your childhood when you think about um, the young girl of Bella... yeah. What comes to mind for you? What do you hold, what are those memories that you hold on to?
1: I, I think one of my earliest memories, and in fact, it's actually not my memory. It's a, a memory that my parents replayed to me a bunch of years ago when um, things weren't going so great in my life. And I was trying to sort of reconnect with who I was. I said, so, you know, mum, what was I like as a child? And she just recalled this story, which was fabulous, which was like, you used to, we took you to the ocean and you used to run into the ocean and I couldn't stop you. You had no fear. And this was like at 18 months, we took you to the beach and this is what happened. Um, And you're exactly like your father. You just had no fear whatsoever. And, um, and then I grew up a little bit and a few things, you know, a few challenges came into our family situation. And so, you know, we had a major car accident and I nearly died at seven. Um, and then my father and mother decided to separate for a while. So at that very vulnerable age of seven, I was like, where's my dad, you know? And so, you know, that brought upon its own challenges that have also grown up into challenges as well. But, you know, largely I was always outside and I think the key for me was when I was a little girl... Like I said, I always wanted to be outside but um, I had an amazing love of the ocean and the sea and uh, one of the best things I ever did was learn to sail um, when I was about seven actually. So, yeah, that that paved the way for a pretty
0: interesting life on the sea. Where did that come from? Was that through your parents or was that – because it's not a normal thing that seven-year-olds do. No, it's (laughs) not. I
1: mean, I sort of started nippers really and then I was like – I you know, my dad used to sail when he was younger and he said – you know, I'm gonna buy us a boat. I um, mean, I think it was cool, Dad. You, by you the know, way, totally, <laughs> it was like totally a way for Dad to connect with us, which I thought was fabulous. You know, considering what was happening in our family, and um, yeah, so we jumped on the boat, and I, I I was going so fast on this boat with my dad, and it was an opportunity for us to connect. And I haven't looked back. You know, that's been the core thing in my life. You know, that one constant that I can always look back to
0: you know, and feel the joy around it. Because you've carried that forward. So sailings have been a big part of your ongoing experience, even from from seven.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it was, you know, I gave it away for a while in my teenage years as I was studying and things. But as soon as I started at university, like, I was like, "I, I need to do this, you know, in a more serious way. And yeah, I just got involved um, in, you know, the sailing scene and then just ended up, you know, travelling around the world in my 20s, you know, holding the flag for Australia and doing all sorts of really cool stuff with the sport and um, very unexpected. But I guess, you know, that's what happens when you grow your, your inner child up, you know, that
0: that's um, it's a beautiful thing to do. It, it does. And there's a big leap between going sailing recreationally and pursuing it from a competition, so, so what was the drive behind that for you? Um, I think I just fell into it, to be
1: honest. It was one of those things that I was loving it so much and um, I just paired with someone in my local town. I grew up in Coffs Harbour on the the north coast of New South Wales and, Yeah. He said, you know, do you want to do a state championship? And I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Okay. Um, and then we did that and we, we did really well in that. And then he's like, well, do you want to sail with me, you know, in a national championship? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then all of a sudden we were qualified for a world championships and I was 21 and on a plane to Europe for the first time, you know, so it was all sort of a bit accidental to be honest. Yeah. Do you remember that moment when you qualified? Yeah. I was like, wow. Like I'm off to like compete in a world championships. Like this is pretty epic. Maybe I should
0: like train or. <laughs> <laughs> this is beyond just a hobby anymore. Yeah, it is. It's a Australian flags coming with me.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. So that was, uh, it was beautiful. I mean, it was a fabulous experience and it opened me up to a whole new world um, of life and energy and vitality and tribe and all those sorts of things. So. What did you learn from that experience? The first one. Um, how, to, how to not get injured. <laughs> I think that was it. Um, I remember it was in Spain in the south of Spain and, and and the wind sort of hoots through there and the water's freezing and the wind is hot and, you know, you, you're upside down in the water all the time. The boats capsize, they sail at very great speeds. And yeah, so coming back to the beach and just going, I survived, you know, like that was a pretty cool Cool learning, like you can survive extreme sports. <laughs> right, yeah, that's right. So,
0: to the yeah. point where you go back and do it again. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So look, obviously, um, and I love that description of that kind of inner child and very energetic. But that hasn't always been your experience, has it? And you've you've had your own battles with with mental health. Um, what was the first, I guess? inclination or realization that that maybe depression's kind of you know wrapped its fingers around you yeah. um, where was that moment was there a moment or was it sort of something that was kind of progressive in your experience? I think it's an
1: interesting question I think it's um you know when I look back I think it was around a decision that I made um in my teenage years and that was um when my parents asked me what I wanted for my birthday when I was 18 I said I, I wanted a camera um, And they said, you can have anything up to a value of $500, right? And so all I wanted to do was take photographs, like that was the thing. Um, And um, instead of doing that, I'd come from an immigrant Italian sort of boat people sort of family. And, you know, we had, you know, my parents had to struggle. And so the notion of being the first person in our family to actually attend university ever was pretty incredible. So I chose the business route. Instead, because creativity back then was not something that you could really pursue theoretically as a as a career, so I think um, following that path that wasn't necessarily fully authentic for me um, was probably the first step, um, and I sort of describe it like. Um, you know, a pot in a, sorry, a frog, we're talking pots before, but a frog um, in a pot of of hot water or warm water. You know, the first sacrifice of the soul, you jump in and the water's quite warm. But then over years, you know, as the career developed and, you know, it was all about the money and the career and the progression and the job titles and how much I was making by certain ages. I think that, you know, by the time I sort of knew that the pot was boiling and, I'd made a sort of cluster of really, um, average decisions. And so to answer your question, it wasn't just sort of one moment. I think it was a cluster of moments that saw me, you know, um, disrespect my health and my, the strength of my body and all of those things while
0: I was just battling it away to sort of bust through the glass ceiling as a woman. And it's, it's, I imagine, I wonder if your experience is similar to this because on the outside, all of that is what we hold up in high regard in society, right? And like, you know, you've worked with some pretty major brands in a business context um, and as you say, you know, have kind of gone up through the ladder and busted plenty of glass ceilings along the way. Um, was there a bit of a sense of, of disconnect between, hey, I'm successful, but on the inside, I'm kind of losing who I am?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think I I felt this quite heavily when, um, you know, I, I knew that I had depression because I was in a series of other, you know, pretty average circumstances in relationships and things. And, um, I knew that my life wasn't great when I was escaping cockroaches from you know the the bowls of you know making my breakfast cereal, um, and then dealing with bully cockroaches at work, you know. And then then my only piece, my one sort of saving grace was getting in my car in my thongs or flip flops, let's say. Um, And driving on to work and listening to Spotify quite loud, um, being stuck in traffic, but just thinking that this was sort of total bliss. And then when I got to work, I had to put on, you know, the high heel shoes and the lipstick and that masculine mask in essence, which really um, was stopping me from being the woman that I wanted to be. But I didn't know who she was and I didn't know how to find her. So I just kept going for lack of other options, really. What was the turning point? Um, so the ter- the biggest turning point for me was uh, a relationship breakdown, um, and at the same time, I, I had irritable bowel syndrome, adrenal failure, and burnout. So, um, you know, being told by the person that I thought I was going to marry in my late thirties and have children with that that wasn't to be the case. Um, it really sort of swiped out all of the anchors that I'd thought that I'd been building towards, um, and. And yeah, I mean that's you know I ended up in my mother's arms in the in the fetal position, saying, "How the hell did I end up like this?" And so I
0: rebuilt basically from there. What was the first step in that rebuilding? So going from fetal position to rebuilding, what? Um, that first I, step. I
1: moved back in with my parents, so that was you know fairly well the first step. Um, they made me food and nurtured my body, and I cried a lot. Um, and then, when I felt strong enough, which was you know a month or two later, I, I took myself to Gwingana, um, up in the up in the Gold Coast, a health retreat, and um, my mind was blown there. I was on a on a week retreat called Believe and Become, and it was all about you know the power of your beliefs, um, and we were starting to have conversations about neuroplasticity and epigenetics and all these things. And this was back in 2012, and it was absolutely fascinating because I learned things like you know, I can reprogram what I think. Like this is actually a thing. Scientists are proving this, like neuroscientists. Um, And that actually the choices that I make um, today are not only impacting my genetic outcomes, so whether I die of cancer or cardiovascular disease or all those things I'm theoretically predisposed to in my family, but um, actually being able to know that it is possible based on new science, that my lifestyle choices can change some of those outcomes or affect what switches get turned on in my DNA and what don't. So those two pivotal moments really set me off on this path of experimentation and learning, learning over a number of years. Was that the first time you'd kind of heard that before? Yeah, absolutely. And back in 2012, there was no books about this stuff. Like, they're all sort of coming out now. And I remember hearing it just going, wow, like this information is transformational. It needs to get into the hands of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, what what I would have done with it years before <laughs> and, and not gotten to that point that you had yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Gwengana, um, having these kind of realisations... What did you do when you came back with that neuroplasticity? I need to look at my beliefs. Like, And I mean, Gwingarn is such a beautiful place, but it can be a place away from life. Yeah. Um, so re-entry is, is a very real thing. Um, how did that integration go for you? So it's a funny story
1: actually. I love telling this one. Um the very first thing I did when I got back to Gwingana was I knew that I had to to find a way to stand on my own two feet. And the only way that I could do that at the time, I was still very vulnerable, was um get one of the first foundations in place, which was just to actually get um my own home and my own space. Um And so that that really was the first step. Um, So I did everything that Marie Kondo says not to do. (laughs) Um, At the time, like getting rid of things was... Um, would have sent me into total anxiety and and spiraled my depression. So I did the opposite. I actually, for the first time, got all of my things, um, after many years of, you know, living abroad and things, um, into the one space. Um, And I spent about a month actually looking back on memories of who I once was, so photographs, journals, yearbooks, diaries, all of those things, to just search for some clues really about, like, who is this woman? And that's really where I started. Um,
0: Ground Zero was that, which was was fascinating. Really powerful because I think, and we were saying this before we even kick-started the conversation, that it's almost like the conversation that we don't have, that there are plenty of and I'm going to talk on behalf of women probably more so, but certainly men who get caught in the grind of, of working career um, and the only way is promotion and the next promotion or the next project or the next job or the next organisation uh, and somehow kind of feel like they lose sight of who they are along the way. And so I could imagine that would have been pretty powerful to start to go, as you say, always like a jigsaw puzzle. What are the clues of of who I am. Did you start to get a glimmer of who that is?
1: Yeah, it was fascinating. Um, So what I did is the way that I really started to understand who I was was when I started putting these things front and centre in the home. So whether these were photographs or cards that someone had sent me or you know, artworks that I'd bought on my previous trips when I was younger or recordings or whatever it was, like when I put them in my environment and I was looking at them every day, I was constantly triggered to the person that I once was. And it it made me realise that actually that's who I really am at the core, because that's who I was before the world started to have its
0: way with me a little bit. Mm. I almost go back to the picture of you describing as an 18-month-old just fearlessly running into the ocean. It's like the world teaches us fear. We're not born into the world with, with fear and so it's almost it's a piece of that as well as the other pieces along the way. Um, and that's really powerful that it becomes that kind of daily reminder for you. Throughout this time, were you still connected with sailing? Uh, no, I wasn't actually. Um, the
1: I, I actually stopped the sailing um, because my I damaged my back so severely competing for so many years and not looking after myself and not attending to my core or, you know, those basic fundamental building blocks of fitness. You know, um, so no, um, there was no sailing involved. There was, was there a sense that that was done. For
0: um,
1: no, not at the time. I mean, I. It, it was too far of a jump for me in the beginning. You know, I was like, my days consisted of getting up, making the bed. You know, like if I got out of bed and made the be- the bed, like that was like an achievement, you know. And then um, to actually get up, make the bed, make myself a green smoothie, like that was the second thing, the second habit I tried to to start bringing into my life. And, and it wasn't just the act of making a green smoothie, it was the act of researching, well, what foods are actually going to prime my brain to reprogram, you know? So I was thinking from a very scientific perspective. And then after that, it was, what can I do to strengthen my body? Um, So I hadn't even thought about,
0: like, anything to do with returning to to sport. Yeah. Were you, um, in terms of your relationship with the corporate world, um, where were you at at this stage? Had you left the corporate world or were you um, in the process of... Still working in that environment?
1: Yeah. So look, you know, um, I, I think this is a really fascinating example of um, what one can do when they're vulnerable and they're weak, um, and they they need to seek sort of outside validation. I was still very much in that space, and so my ego and my identity was totally tied to this woman that I'd been for like sixteen years. And so once all of those things were taken away, and you don't really know who you are anymore. You know, like when you're that weak, you can't think about starting a business or a practice or a, you know, and that's one piece of advice I give for people. You know, if you do want to start something incredible on the planet, then you have to have your basic needs met first. And one should know what she wants and why. So, uh, no, like um, I, I didn't know, and I was afraid of going backwards financially. So I actually went and tried to get a job. And I did get a job um, back in what I was doing before, and in essence, um, the first three months I was on a plane to Melbourne, like you know, four days a week or something ridiculous, and all of those sort of little habits that I'd started to build actually faded away, and um, I was I ended up back where I started, and so I had to I had to stop, um, and that's when I prioritised my healing for good. Hmm.
0: Yeah, because otherwise you get. It's hard when you say your identity and ego gets kind of sucked back into that, it's, um, it's hard to have both as well, yeah. So you're on the up, you, could, you started to make some, some habit changes, all of which you kind of described being um, almost a bit weak. In a, in, so they were small but, but there was progress along the way. Um, what was the next kind of pivotal point for you? Um, I think it was
1: deciding that to find the woman that I wanted to become, uh, I had to get very clear about who I was. And so I said, you know, we went through that process of like putting all the memories and everything out and, and it was really about getting clear on my values. I call them sort of your touchstones in essence. They're things that you have in your pocket that you carry around. And when you need to make a decision, um, you pull them out of your pocket and you you use those as your decision-making frameworks because by the time we get to our age, there's like 20 plus cognitive biases that are impacting our decisions. It's ridiculous. There's like, you know, the camel, like you put your head in the sand, you know, there's like, you know, what the world does and things like that. And so I was like, well, I need a decision-making framework. So that's really what I what I had to go at next once mm-hmm. i'd sort of got some of those basic needs sort of underway and and that was fascinating because that took me off on a journey of you know looking at like who do i admire in the world what are they out there doing? You know, and I had this amazing list of like people like Camilla Franks from Camilla, Sebastian Terry from 100 Things, the Dalai Lama, like amazing like photographers from around the world. And I was like, there's a reason I admire these people, right? So that was the next phase really. And that set me up to actually make
0: some better decisions about what I wanted to do next. Because I think that admiration for others often it's a mirror, isn't it a reflection of what is it that I'm either striving for in myself or um, where do I go from here? You mentioned before, um, we kind of hit record that it was seven years after, um, you know, going through depression that you did actually come back to sailing. Um, but it wasn't, that wasn't a clear, quick, yes, I'll definitely do it, that you were invited back and you said no. <laughs> Describe that for me. What was that uh, yeah. like? Why, why no straight away? Um, I think I was still stuck
1: between the sort of old self and the woman that I wanted to become. And... I wasn't sure physically I'd be up for it. And secondly, I wasn't sure if I could win and be the best because I'd been out for such a long period of time. And I know that sounds totally ridiculous, but, you know, back in those days, I was still, you know, quite attached to my achievements and things. So um, I didn't want to have a go at something if I didn't think that I could win. Uh, So... It took a lot of encouragement from um, my sailing partner, Jessie, actually, who we'd had a lot of success. We were European champions a a bunch of years earlier, like seven years earlier. And, you know, it it was really her sort of gently convincing me that she thought that it was a good idea. So she must have been inside my head or had something going on energetically to just go, you know what, Bella needs to do this. So, yeah, so she helped. And uh, we jumped back on the boat, and we we started again just for, just for the pure love of it. Um, I remember we like before we'd go training, like she she'd go to pole dancing class, and I'd go and pump out vinyasa yoga classes to, and that and we always said that um, we were going to compete within the feminine principles of competition, which was collaboration, being more in our heart, embracing more that yin side of our of our feminine essence. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was a fun experiment. Was that
0: different for you from previous? Totally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because like anyone that knows me that might be listening to this would say, Oh, she was like a terror on the water. (laughs) You know, I would like use intimidation (laughs) tactics and, and, yeah, like people didn't want to mess with me on the water and I just said, you know, I have to try and do this differently. Like this is about the woman that I want to become and, and she is more of a woman, not a man in a dress. And so it was a fabulous experiment
0: to, to see. And a successful one, I hear.
1: Well, theoretically, yes. I mean, yeah, you don't, uh, basically what, what happened is we, we ended up doing a, a six month training program together. Um, in At the same time in, in my work, I was taking photographs of, you know, people in the fitness industry or in the yoga space. And I was absolutely loving that and combining that with my, you know, my health practices and my yoga practices and jumping on the boat just for the love of it and taking friends even out around the harbour just for joy rides. And you know, this wasn't about like, how can we win a world championships? This was just like, let's let's have a go and just have some fun and find some joy. And
0: uh, yeah, it, it sort of ended up being as it was. You know? Yeah. You found the joy and, and uh, yeah, being able to put that feminine energy into what you did.
1: Yeah. And I think it's quite fascinating because we sort of took it a step further is when we were actually, um, so we we did sail in, in the world championships and it was my and Jesse's ninth attempt to become world champions. So it wasn't insignificant. Um, and I just went into it with the mindset that I just want to be there just to do what I love. And um, so we had these practices in the morning where we'd get up and we'd make the green smoothie and then I'd go and sort of meditate on the beach and, and just look at the ocean and just become one with with the experience of being on the ocean. And then from there, um, the organising committee said, hey, it looks like you're quite into yoga these days because I had done my yoga teacher training and and – I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, do you want to do classes like for the competitors? And I'm like, absolutely. So before we were out on the race course, we were actually doing classes with um, my fellow How competitors. Cool How <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. Was there a
0: little part of you going, I'll tie them in knots and then walk away? No? <laughs> no, no. I sort of had moved past that a little no. bit. And yeah, so there you go. So yeah, that giving exciting. back was beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. And was that successful? You became world champions in that? We, we did. Yes, yeah. we
1: did. And very unexpectedly. But, you know, what got us through in the end was all of the work that I'd been doing on um on mindfulness and meditation practices and learning to really calm the system, the body, so that you're not running on adrenaline, so that when you are under pressure and you're in the last race which we were and we had to you know we were we were second going into the last race and we had to win the last race by a couple of boats to actually take the title and just being able to go into that feeling really calm and centered in our energy and and I think that's what got
0: us there we kept we kept the cool. So when you that moment of winning what did you experience what was the first thing that went through your head?
1: Um, when we sailed across the finish line I said to Jesse do you think we've done this? And she said, yes. And I I started crying. Like I was inconsolable. We got back to the beach. There was a lot of friends and family members there. And um, we stepped off the boat and there's this photo of Jessie and I and we've got our arms around each other and I've got my hand on sort of my forehead and I'm looking down and I'm I'm wailing and she's smiling and like comforting me and stuff. And it was just this feeling of like... of relief and validation that when one chooses a path of authenticity that the world conspires to see you achieve
0: infinite success. Did some of that fuel um, what is now your path of kind of sharing um, and promoting and wanting these conversations to be more and more part of... Uh, the way that women in particular look after themselves in the corporate kind of world was that fueled partly by that experience? Absolutely. I mean that was
1: that couple of years, you know from when I when I had depression to because there was a an 18 month gap really between when I had depression and you know adrenal failure and burnout to us actually winning, um, that, was, that was a period of intense experimentation across all aspects of my life um, if, with everything f- to do from that neuroplasticity to the epigenetics to the fun to the play to the creativity to the, you know, values and touchstones to, you know, but, but still then I didn't really have a clear view of, of what I wanted to become and I knew that I was curious about this kind of wellness and performance uh, space but I didn't really know what to do. Um, I just knew that there was a, I felt like there was a lot of other women suffering and that the best way for me to help them was to go and train and, and you know, do some further study in, in, you know, neuroplasticity and NLP and cognitive behavioural therapy
0: and things like that. So coming full circle, you've got a book that's coming out very, very shortly. And I'm going to make sure I get the, na- the name right. Smart Girls Grew Up Too, which I love. <laughs> it's a great title. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about the premise of the book and what's what's behind it. Absolutely. Look, it's it's a
1: journey to support women to bring their A game to their lives authentically. Um, so, if you've had a setback like I had, or even like not even a setback, or anything remotely like that, or maybe yours is even more challenging, um, it will it will help you um, get back to figure out who you are and what you want, and what matters, and how to get your health back in shape, and how to become more confident. So, and those for, for those women that want to actually up their game. To the next level, um, it teaches them how to how to do that in an authentic way. So it covers obviously my story in essence. Um, there's not so much talk about sailing, to be honest. I think there's like Maybe a paragraph or so. Um, it's much more about the things I'd learnt on the along the way, or the experiments that I did, what worked and what didn't, uh, what I screwed up as well in in that process. And then from there, it was it's it's an amazing compilation of stories from other major game changers that I'd interviewed across the world. I'm talking Esther Perel, um, the leading relationships therapist from New York City. Um, Gavin McClurg, the National Geographic Adventurer of the Year, Mandy Ray Crack, a multiple um, world record, free diving world record holder. So I looked to them to see,
0: um, you know, what what were the things about the intersection of wellbeing and performance. I think that's one of the things I love about it is that you share your story but you've actually got other stories as well. It's not, um, I think, part of your curiosity has been gone to go down that path of... Let's share what other stories are out there and part of that. And, again, I also love that just experiment. Give it a go. Try something. If it doesn't work for you, do it another way, another context. But um, what's culminated in this book and what you share is actually research of over 2,000 women over a three-year period and you've got some fascinating data, um, as well as the, the interviews that you've done. Is there any of that data in particular that surprised you or is now kind of continuing to kind of inform the conversations you're having?
1: Absolutely. I mean, this was, again, this was an experiment. Um, a friend of mine said, you know, it would be a great idea for you to create um, some kind of um, product in your business that allows people to go and audit their lives and then you sort of send them a report that gives them information on what what they can do to make changes based on their own scores. So one of the first things I did was set up this study um, and so people that completed it got this amazing win of their own sort of personalised report and then obviously I was able to, to collect all this information en masse and, yeah, over 2,000 women from 83 countries actually. I just did the, did the analysis of this the other day as we were rounding out the manuscript and... Um, there, there are some significant stats in here and I think there's a real opportunity for women to, you know, gain that clarity, number one, about who am I and what do I want? And what really surprised me in the study is I thought, you know, perhaps about 50% of people would not. Have that level of clarity, um, but what I've found it's it's between seventy five and eighty percent wow. of people, yeah, of women between the ages of twenty six and forty five. That was the sample that um, are actually going through life with the blindfolds on, so they don't really know what they want, they don't know why, and and you know that missing clarity piece is something that means that we're doing all this sort of amazing activity, but we're not quite sure why and therefore we don't necessarily desire something and that's the thing like there's no necessary desire around what can I create that will make a difference on the planet that serves others so that that surprised the hell out of me I have to be honest yeah.
0: Oh me too when I hear those stats and yet um it also makes sense when I think about some of the conversations that I have. And I think what I love about what you're going to add to the conversation is is actually helping women with a roadmap about how to go from A to B because uh, I think and, and certainly what I hear in the conversation, I'm sure you have as well, is um, women saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know um, what I'm passionate about or what I'm even interested in but I've been told I'm meant to be passionate about something and that that can actually be just as downtrodden as as I should be, but there's this gap and this void. I don't even know what the first step is. Um, There's not a roadmap, but there's a pressure that's out there is that something you've ex- experienced? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think you know
1: that's one of the things in my in my private client work. You know, when I'm working with women like senior executives at banks or you know big four companies or lawyers, that they, they tend to be the people that I, I attract. You know, the first thing is is the first question or challenge that they say is I don't I don't really know what I'm passionate about, and there is a passion trap as well where people think you know I I have to know what I'm passionate about, and I think, you know, a friend of mine has this saying which is really around chasing your tennis balls and your tennis balls in essence are your curiosities um, and we all have curiosity even if we think it's buried and the way to find it is to look back at what we loved as a kid. Uh, that's that's the answer. Uh, I give that answer to everybody and I get them to go and explore and one of my clients, for instance, I, she said, you know, that she used to love... Um, you know climbing up trees when she's a kid and i said well okay that's really fascinating how would you grow that up you know what what would the grown up in you do that was accessible if you couldn't climb trees and she said well i could climb walls and so she started climbing walls you know, and that was able to halo back to her professional life because she was climbing at greater heights. She had you know greater expectations for herself, so and those around her and boundaries and things. So, I think it's just connecting with those
0: teeny curiosities. I love that question. How would you grow that up? That's yeah. such a cool question. I'm going to use it. <laughs> totally. Please yeah, do. Yeah, Absolutely. so go back to that. But how would I grow that up? What's the adult version of that? Or maybe you could do exactly what the child. <laughs> there are trees that you can go and climb and, and get amongst as well. But yeah, it's a really good way of going, yeah, well, how do you actually make that part and parcel? You also have a um, a couple of C's that you talk about in your armour. Can you unpack those
1: Sure. So the first one, like we discussed, was clarity, right? So that's, you know, if you want to be a fully expressed leader, someone that is bringing their A game to their life, someone who is a magnetic leader that people want to work with or, you know, collaborate with or work for in an organisation. And I don't really like that term work for, but um, I think that we have a $500 billion productivity problem in Australia alone right now. And the fundamental guts of that are, is that we are looking up the up the chain in the leadership chain in, in organisations, and we are not looking at the leaders that we want to become. So we're either opting out or we are suffering from, you know, a myriad of, of lifestyle challenges. And so... So what do you mean by when you say $500 billion... Productivity problem. What is that? So this mean is a, this is these stats are a combination of um, absenteeism, presenteeism, and also retention or turnover stats, and that's an annual number in Australia alone. So, and this is because we're looking up and we're not engaged with the type of leadership. So. I guess in in the fully expressed leadership model, this is all around number one, gaining clarity, who am I, what do I want and what matters the most so that you are choosing the right organisations to work for, you are choosing the right people, you know, leaders to, you know, work with so that you're actually leveraging your gifts and talents in a way that are are respected Um, and not succumbing to, you know, bullying practices and these things that are anxiety and depression producing. Um, the second area that that, um, that is a component of fully expressed leadership is is being connected to your mind, body and spirit. And another stat that absolutely astounded me in this, I thought this would be around the 50% mark as well, but um, 73% of women say that they don't actually have enough energy to meet the demands of the day. Like how crazy
0: is that, Ellie? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But gosh, you see it. You see it everywhere, right? It is crazy. Um But it's that me too. You you know, people are just tired. They're exhausted and they just keep getting up and going. But um, it's such a critical element. But that's a massive stat. That's scary.
1: It is. And I think, you know, where does our energy come from, right? It comes from what we put in our body how we move our body and how how we renew in essence or you know, renewal sleep and rest. Mm-hmm. And I liken this to like a metaphor of like, you know, imagine a seesaw and you have like an apple. On, on one end of the seesaw and then you have the Incredible Hulk on a fat day. <laughs> and so the apple, like if you're just like, you know, eating an apple a day, yeah, theoretically it says that it keeps a doctor away but it totally doesn't, no. right? <laughs> like, and you're fighting with the Incredible Hulk which is like your work pressures, your family pressures, your boss, your, you know, this and that and this is what you're doing to balance it. Of course, you're going to have massive challenges and so I think... The key there is really supporting people to think about what are some of those basic practices that I'm doing, you know, to, to nurture my mind, body and spirit. So, yeah, so that, that is something that organisations need to get a lot more aware of, in my opinion, because another stat in relation to that that I think is totally fascinating is that all disease that we have begins in our gut, right? And there's all this talk about like intuitive leadership and how to be a more intuitive leader. And one of the things I learned in in the research for smart girls was that you you cannot have intuition if your gut health isn't good. And so your gut is sending like an eight-lane freeway of information and inflammation up to your brain, which is spurring your mental health challenges. So if you're eating inflammatory foods and you're not renewing, then you know, no surprise you're not a, a great intuitive leader,
0: right? So some of those things that have been uncovered too. And the problem with all of that, that energy is then because you're feeling run down, you grab the quick quick energy resources, whether it's coffee, chocolate, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you grab a little bit of sleep where you can and get up and go and do it again tomorrow it just adds to that
1: cycle absolutely like date with sleep like yeah. i mean aside from new mums like of course you know this is something that that we go through um, when we're experiencing childbirth but you know the opportunity to really schedule our sleep like ariana huffington talks about this in in her latest book but it's it's fascinating it's like oh it's just a something i can take for granted yeah so so that's really the second c around you know being connected and the third is about confidence. And this is about not just confidence about, you know, b- being out there in the world doing what you love. It's also about taking the beacon for other women. It's like, you know, I liken it, Ali, too. you know, when you... I've never been to a, a runway show, but have you? Like a runway, nine, you know, like a nine. model, like running down a runway? Yeah, You know, when they're, they're walking down the runway, you know, all the lights are on them. Like they are visible, right? And when they're when they're doing that, it's... Like, everything is showing for real. And so it's like, what are you bringing, you know, to actually be that person where when the lights are on, who are you being? And that I think is fascinating in relation to supporting women to to build
0: confidence. Because it's... Um... It's so fascinating because it's around how do you do that for who you are? Um, And you touched on before some of the biases that we have that society kind of informs us. Um, What are some of those messages that you think women get told around... You know, energy, one of them, like, so going back to that connected, but also confidence. Um, And I'm probably even in an Australian society. And I guess the types of things that I hear is if you do actually prioritise your sleep or you look after yourself too much, it can feel a bit like you're being a bit selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're too confident, then you're a bit full of yourself. how do we get around some of those kind of biases? And it might be that no one ever tells us, but society somewhere along the line has shown us or said that or we've 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 absorbed that story into our own. How do we combat that? Absolutely. I mean this is
1: fascinating. So it comes back to that clarity piece and, and part of clarity is is choosing your beliefs and your thoughts and consciously sort of auditing your beliefs and saying, well, is this actually what I believe really? You know, do I believe that I have to be a woman um, disguised as a man to be successful because there are plenty of women in the world that are highly feminine leaders that are uber successful, like yourself, right? So there is, there is many role models to look towards. So that that's kind of the first component. And the second component is the environmental aspect of that. So if you do want to learn to believe new things, then it's very difficult to do so if you're putting yourself in a home environment, a relationship environment, a work vi- environment, a friendship environment um, that is that is constantly um, at odds with what you want to become. So I believe that in that space, there, for some people, this is like little tweaks. It's like, you know, changing your flatmate, for instance, or cleaning out your handbag or, you know, some really simple things. And and, uh, for other people, it's, you know, full on fundamental change around some of those aspects of what actually drives our confidence and people drive our confidence. I
0: believe, alongside your beliefs. Um, so the people you hang around, the conversations you're a part of, the podcasts or the the books that you might read and listen into? hundred percent, yeah.
1: It's all environmental stim- stimuli because, you know, there, there's also studies that have proven now that um, what you're actually digesting with your eyes, so what you're looking at and what you're hearing, is also impacting your gut health you know, which is also impacting, you know, your mental health and what you believe and all those things.
0: So it's fascinating. Yeah, that's really, really interesting to actually be discerning about what I'm consuming from uh, whether it's from media or, yeah, just what's around me or the people I'm kind of hanging around. Um, so yeah, I love that clarity of who you are. What do I value? What's important to me? And what all is it that I want to absorb? Um, and even just paying attention from today, from hearing this podcast, um, what are those conversations? And which ones do you want to choose? Yes, yeah, still which ones you might actually go run a million miles <laughs> from. No, totally. <laughs> which is really okay. It's that permission to do it, right? Hundred um, percent. Being connected to that mind, body, and spirit, and then having that confidence, the strut, the spotlight. This is you. What does that look like? I love that. Shoulders back. Yes. Boob's Boob, out. Boob's totally out. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got them so we can rock them up. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So the book's coming out. What are you excited around the conversations that, uh, that are going to happen when, um, when you get dragged into, when, when people start having these conversations? What's the conversations we need to have?
1: I think as women, we need to have more, um, at the risk of being cliche, more vulnerable conversations about what's really going on for us. Um, And that was my goal with Smart Girls Screw Up Too was to shed light on our screw ups and use those screw ups in conversation and connection to actually support us to create the dialogues that we want to see in the world so that we feel like we are not alone. Like if 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 smart girls can do one thing, it's that. It's that empathy, that vulnerability piece. And I was only having a conversation with a, a friend yesterday and she said, you know, she's she's quite a high profile woman and she was saying to me, you know, I, I was asked to go and do a talk, and instead of talking about all my successes and all the veneer of all the successes that I that I have had, I actually went and did a talk for Twitter, which was all about Um, all of the things that I've really grappled with and struggled with to um, get to where I am now. And so that's what I want to do. I want to open up those conversations. I want to talk about um, how our hormones are impacting our ability to be a fully expressed leader, how our organisations should, you know, think about those sort of elements with how we how we nurture and look after our women because we are variable. We do have a menstrual cycle that gives us incredible gifts um, at all times of of that that beautiful moon cycle. Um, I want to be having a conversation about gut health and neuroplasticity and epigenetics and all these big topics that are sitting out there in the ether that are not in the mainstream.
0: And just supporting women to to be able to be open and share what's going on. I think providing that, that safe environment to actually be vulnerable and real and go, oh, this is what's going on for me or this is I've grappled that too and we need to hear that from each other um, to be able to go, yeah, me too. Um, and to just know that, yeah, there are... There are, there is research, there is study, there is understanding around whether it's hormones, whether it's gut health, around what's what's going on for me. So there's such vital conversations, and I, like even coming back to that title, you know, smart girls screw up too. I think that's, I mean, that just kind of summarizes it too. That we all will have these moments. There's all these doubts and fears, and that person that you hold up in high regard and think they've got it all together. Actually, really don't.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing, Ali. I mean, I, I think it's you know, fifty percent of women right now feel bad more than they feel good. Yeah. So, um, for all of you listening, you are not alone. Um, there are there are half of the population of women that you walk past in the street that are feeling exactly the way you are right now, mm. and even more uh, that are that are not satisfied with their their work situation
0: right now. So there's a lot that you've set up and a lot of kind of non-negotiables around your own energy, um, which I think is just so paramount that we need to give ourselves permission to do that. What's one thing that you're grappling with at the moment?
1: <laughs> it's, uh, oh, that's such a good question. You've totally put me on the spot. <laughs> what am I grappling with right now?
0: So... You're about to be in the spotlight. You're about to be on the catwalk. What's,
1: Absolutely. What's I point? think for me it's the, the balance of life and potential family. And
0: what that looks like for
1: you. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like I'm 41, so um, I've left the whole childbearing thing quite late. So I, thankfully I'm now in a beautiful, solid relationship with a wonderful man and that was one of the things that, I was hoping would be an outcome of this you know this experimentation that I would meet somebody wonderful and thankfully I have and you know my biggest question's around how to do that, how to be an authentic, amazing mother, but still not drop the ball on the the mission mm. yeah. You've got kids, right? I do. How, how have you done it? Maybe you can tell me. <laughs> Let's talk about that.
0: <laughs> you know what? It's um, I think it's, I come back to the experiment piece and I come back to like even your three around clarity, connection and, and confidence. You've got to get clear on doing it the way you fits for you in your life, in your world. Um, and don't assume. I have learned to outsource everything. Um, so I love being a mother. Um, I think I'm a pretty good mum. I'm a terrible cook. I am a terrible cook and I've let that go for many years. I, that was a huge expectation on me that I need to learn that, that I'm less than, that I'm not as good as. And I have great friends that that's, that's where they express their love, that's that's who they are is in the kitchen. That's not me. <laughs> so I outsource that. I have a cook that comes to, um, once a fortnight. She stocks freezer with amazing organic food, um, and I have a cleaner five days a week, um, and so many people will even get shocked at that uh, but again i've over, I've had to overcome people saying, "Oh geez, how dirty is your house and I'm like that's my mental health is having those people I have my dad um, who lives on the property with us so um, do it your way ask for help um, and and come back to the things that are important for you and and again, there's lots of research around um, you know, there's no one way to, to parent or manage business. We're all figuring it out. But you've got it. You've got the experiment. It's just the next experiment.
1: Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it, actually.
0: Yeah. If yeah. if God willing, it happens. So there we go. Yeah, and follow those breadcrumbs where, where that leads. And that's, yeah, really, really exciting. Um, so I have one more question before... No, two more questions. Sure. I want to go back to your 18-year-old self, uh, where you wrestled with that that um, desire to get a camera and and be creative, uh, have you followed that path? How has that version of you grown up? That's so
1: fascinating. Thanks, Ali. I um I so one of the other things that I did was um, when I was deep in the thick of my corporate career, um, a couple of years before I had um, burnout and depression. I. Decided to pick up a camera, actually, and um, just for the pure love of it. And same thing again, you know, it wasn't my career. I wasn't trying to make a business out of it. It was just, I just want to pick this thing up and I want to play with it. And so I took some time out. I went and photographed like a whole bunch of incredible things. and, And it was fascinating, the experience of doing so, because it was actually my way of understanding people observing, seeing how the world works. And this has taken me everywhere now. It's taken me to slums in Africa. And that's how I uncovered my my purpose around supporting women to become fully expressed leaders, seeing these young girls in Kabira Slum. And you know, how they have to fight for survival every day. And the more money and abundance that I can make, the more I can give back there. You know, so the camera has sort of certainly become a huge part of my life again. And nowadays, like women that work with me, I actually photograph them as part of my services, which is great as a a pure act of like love and beauty for them so that they can get these gorgeous sort of photographs of themselves being in their true essence up and out. For them to remember when things get get challenging, the gift that keeps on giving. I love
0: that. That yeah. was pretty funny. That's <laughs> awesome. The eighteen year old yes. self is cheering. I can imagine. Yeah. So to wrap up, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When I say that to you, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? It means to be
1: authentic or uncover your authenticity. For, for me, that's 100%. And even if that takes you a whole lifetime to be able to say when someone asks you the question, who are you? What do you want? And what matters the most? And you're able to articulate that in a way that is not only self-fulfilling to your own ego, but most importantly, actually serving others in a way that is authentic to who you are. So in your example, you know, for some of your friends, that might be being the greatest mother on the planet. For other people, like friends of mine, it might be just, you know, supporting people to smile more often. And for others, it might be going out and doing crazy things like Elon Musk and, you know, creating the future that that he wants to see. We're not all him. We don't all have to be him or her, whoever that is, And and... And, and not feeling like you have to compare yourself to others and that you're well supported in your own
0: authenticity. Beautiful. Keep exploring your own journey. Thank you so much, Bella. It's been lovely to chat with you. I almost feel like we should go and have a green smoothie. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Ali. Thank you.